What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review. Um, joined by Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. After uh, Creighton's 83-73 win over Oklahoma on Tuesday night at the CHI. Um, pretty fun game, I think. Uh, 75 possessions. It, the first half was probably better than the, had better flow to it than the second half. I think the second half was a little bit choppy with whistles and stoppages and you know a free throw shooting contest I think what teams were 32 of 39 at the free throw line in the second half it's a lot of free throws dang um, yeah, I didn't realize that I mean both teams shot yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I did I mean, well I should say Austin Reeves versus Creighton it was basically well Marcus Zagorowski got to the line 14 yeah, how times how many times so. did, he, did he how many times did he shoot in the second half all 14 in the second he was. He shot eleven free throws in the second half. Yeah. And Reeves shot twelve. Wow. Um. So yeah, a little bit choppy in the second half, but a fun. I think it was a fun game overall. Um. One that maybe had a little bit of a. You know, a little bit of extra to it with a postseason feel. Um. The atmosphere was great. I think the energy on the court was great. Um. What were some of your takeaways from from that from that battle tonight? I mean, I think the biggest thing was just that Creighton found a way to win again in a game that didn't necessarily suit its preferred or its preferences. Talking about like shooting percentage wise, yeah, yeah, and even the flow of it wasn't. I mean, Creighton, it was in the first half. It was going up and down the way Creighton wanted it to, and and the Jays got some good looks in transition and caught Oklahoma napping a few times, and and it seemed to have a flow. It, offense kind of stagnated a little bit at the end of the first half and after a quick start to the second half the Jays kind of fell back into that lull offensively and um but yet still found a way to win by just being tough playing playing with some grit hustling and then digging in defensively and forcing like I thought I thought Creighton this this I I guess I I wish I would have asked Coach McDermott, but this one felt like one of the Creighton's better sort of stick to the game plans for forty minute type games defensively of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed like they were leaving the guys who they wanted to open uh, the uh, the guys who they were comfortable shooting and shot it, and uh, they did as as the game wore on, they seemed to do a better and better job against Doolittle and uh, and Manic. So. I thought Creighton for a team that I don't know. I think that going in, coming into this game, Creighton was second worst in the Big East in opponent field goal percentage, and they held Oklahoma at thirty three percent from the floor. Um, they made a lot of hustle plays and got to the free throw line more than they have in four years in a game, thirty six times. They won in a different way, but as Marcus Segarowski said, that's a good thing because it proves that they can win in multiple ways, and they're going to obviously have to do that as the year progresses. I think it was interesting that, I mean, hearing it from Marcus is one thing, but I mean, he's pretty much embodying that. Him and Christian Bishop tonight, I thought. Uh, you know, even Tyshawn Alexander going to get, you know, crashing the defensive glass and getting his hand in passing lanes and digging down on post ups. Um, it just felt like Creighton was not going to back down tonight. I mean, they f- even when. Even in moments where the shots weren't falling, or they they hit stretches where they weren't, I think they went without a field goal for seven, nine minutes. Nine minutes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it didn't feel like it fell off defensively, though. It felt like they were like, "All right, we missed that one. We got to get a stop now." And I think this team has shown um, the ability to do that more often this year than in, in the past couple of years. Just when they when the shot isn't falling or the offense isn't flowing right, uh, they can kind of just buckle down a little bit defensively and make sure it doesn't snowball on them. Yeah. You know, even though Oklahoma was able to eventually cut a, a 13-point lead down to two, yep. that was – they never got it tied. They never got the lead. Um, so Creighton did enough defensively when their offense wasn't – when their offense wasn't working. And then um, in order to keep themselves in front and then when the offense – you know, when they were able to make enough plays offensively to finish the game and put Oklahoma away. Yeah. A sign of a mature team, I think. A team that's going to win. A team that's going to have to win games like that if they want to play in March. Definitely. And if they want to advance in March, especially. I mean, when you talk about the story of Creighton's postseason shortcomings in the NCAA tournament, 
it's usually involves a sub forty percent shooting percentage and and a, and, a and, loss. An, and an inability to do anything else to. I was going to say like game. a double digit loss right. because they can't because they can't get shot right. Yeah. yeah, it's like well they can't shoot and that's it. It's end of game yeah. like story that's over. Where it begins and ends. Right. Done. Right. Then it makes shots. Yeah. Um, I mean, because this is. I, now I gotta. Uh, now I'm really curious to look to see, uh, and I'll do this after this. Maybe Rob Anderson's already looked it up, but like, is this Creighton's lowest shooting percentage in a win since what? You know, um, I did look it up. Okay, actually. Uh, so it's funny. They've won three games since 2014, shooting sub 40 percent from the field. Wow, two of them are against Oklahoma. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. What's they the beat, other they one? Beat, they beat Oklahoma and North Carolina Central back to back in 2014, 2015 shooting. Okay, I think they shot thirty seven percent against Oklahoma. I was going to say because I, I don't remember them winning since I've been on the no, beat. No, 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 it hasn't happened since you've been on the beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shooting sub forty. Yeah, this is the first for you. And and winning winning a game. Um, yeah. That's that's. That's not part of the DNA of this team, or no. this program normally. But again, that's this is what they work for. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. this is what they've tried to ingrain, incorporate into their DNA. Yeah, like, over the last yeah, season. we know we can space it and shoot it and run, and well, that's how we want to play. Right. But if you force us to kind of grind it out, we can do that too, and we're comfortable doing that as well. And so, like now, they showed that against uh, Texas Tech. I think they showed it against Louisiana Tech, and they mm-hmm. showed it uh, again tonight against Oklahoma. Uh, just winning in different ways is is obviously important. And I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Marcus Zagorowski said something like, you know, we're not the biggest team, we're not the strongest team, but we can be the tougher team mm-hmm. type thing. Because it's interesting that he, like, was able to cut through those first two and still make the distinction of toughness. Yeah. Because it, normally it doesn't tie together. Right. Right. Yeah. And how many times are they going to step on the floor when they aren't, like, they're at an athletic disadvantage mm-hmm. in a lot of spots. And this was the, that was the case um, – I just a few times Oklahoma just skying so, uh, for yeah, rebounds like out because there was that there was that stretch where Oklahoma had four second chance opportunities in five possessions and it was like the ball comes like the ball came pretty hard off the back iron and Creighton's in position to grab it and it was just like a jump ball for it and yeah. it's like shorter person taller right. person like and and like a know. little bit more length a little yeah. bit higher yeah. vertical exactly. and it was like that's not going to Creighton right and and that 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 was like kind of the stretch of the game where the Momentum started to turn a little bit. And you're like, <coughs> yep. maybe Oklahoma's just athleticism is going to like define Take this over. thing, mm-hmm. and um, and sure, it could, it did have an Im- impact. Mm-hmm. But as Marcus Zagorowski says, like, okay, that you give them that, but we're going to be tougher in in other ways. And sure, they may out jump us, but as soon as they put the ball down on the floor, like we're going to come in there and dig it out. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kind of embodied, as you said, like he's embodying that sort of spirit, and uh, he does definitely doesn't just talk it; he plays it, mm-hmm. plays with that, ripping the ball away a couple times for for defensive rebounds. One time he got on the floor and um, and and got got a board, and then the other time he went up with uh, one of Oklahoma's players and just sort of like he went up took with Manic late and got yeah. one away from him somehow. Took it. Took it. Um, um, yeah. Uh, defensively, like let's just go over what we. Saw in the second half because uh, when you look at Doolittle, Reeves, and Manic, they're they're big three. The only three guys really that can hit a shot for crying out loud for that team. Um, it's amazing how effective Creighton's you know dork defense was against uh, Jamal Bienemy and uh, Davion Harmon. Harmon isn't I that mean, bad. Of a yeah, shooter from, I, I agree. He's so, like, I think he's around thirty five percent from yeah. Three and year. I thought he had a game. Bienemy's been really been struggling, and Creighton he has was like, yeah, we're we're gonna guard you a little bit. And then once he started breaking them, they're like, all right, we're going to need they, yeah, more they space. Ba- they backed out. And basically didn't even guard him in the second half. Yeah. Um, and he kept shooting because, I mean, he is a good shooter for his career. He's just in a crazy slump right now. I don't know what's going on. But those two guys were one for 15 and one for 12 uh, from three. Um, but Doolittle, Reeves, and Manic were the big three tonight for Oklahoma. Yes. I think they had 40, 61 of their 73 points. Yeah, Harmon, by, by the way, Harmon was 5 of 10 from three in his last two games. Okay, yeah. Like he capable shooter, and he, I think he's a freshman. So, um, you know, I think it was. I, I honestly, I think Max said it afterwards. Like, once he made one, then it would have forced us to adjust, but he didn't. So they were able to keep backing off. And right. as you said with the enemy, they they really didn't. They they could help off him. Yeah, they they gave him more spaces. The game, yeah. Um, but Doolittle, Reeves, and Manic uh, finished with sixty-one of their seventy-three points. But in the first half. 
Um, they were 8, 12, 12 for 18 between the three of them. And in the second half, they were 6 for 23. Yeah. So Creighton was – I just now they missed some shots. I think Manic missed a pretty easy lob. Um, just missed time to just jump a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but for the most part, I think they were they were doing a good job with Reeves. The one thing they were doing is they were making him have to stretch the floor. They weren't letting him step into the toe of the line and, and get shots up. They were really crowding him. They were really getting into him um, when he put the ball on the deck. And, you know, eventually he did adjust because he hit a couple deep ones um, late. Yeah, he but, just went further back. <laughs> right, yeah. But that was great. Creighton's defense was maybe forcing him into that, you know, 26 to 27-foot range and making him shoot from there as opposed to towing the line and, and getting the rhythm step in three that way. And Doolittle, um, you know, they switched a lot of the high ball screens on him um, because Marcus Zagorowski would be in his chest a few times, but yeah. they never left the painted area when he was starting to back down the smaller defender. They were quick to bring Denzel help. Denzel was yeah. always, you know, and in I the thought they were. And I thought they brought more help in the second half. Maybe I just kind of missed I thought they were just helping well the space more. the the space they the increased space they gave Bianami probably was yeah, a that's factor what, right. in that because they were able to play completely off of him and and do little he missed some little. shots that he can normally hit too those mm-hmm. shorter like twelve foot mid range jumpers yeah, yeah he's he's yeah. pretty good at that but yeah they did a better job on him like at the start of, at the start of the game in the first half do little and Manic I was like if if the, if that's how it's gonna be. This game was going down to the wire. Mm-hmm. I mean, because um, I thought Doolittle was pretty much doing whatever he wanted. Did he, he, was he six for six in the first half? He was six for six yeah. in the first half. Um, and, norm- and they were all kind of just like back down, hit you once, and fade away. Yeah, yeah. He was doing what he like what he did, and then Manic got one. Then I know he got a three early, which was like straight out of the scouting report. Like you can't give that no. one up. Um, but. And they were—I remember—they ran a play from Manic right out of the, out of halftime, and, and he missed it. But it was a good look. Mm-hmm. So they definitely those those three definitely missed some shots, as you said. But but I thought Creighton did a better job defensively too in the second half. Yeah, and it's funny because going in, I felt like Creighton was going to win tonight because both teams like to get up and down um, and run the floor, and they aren't terribly. Neither team is terribly deep. We know Creighton isn't for sure, but Oklahoma doesn't go terribly deep into their bench. Definitely um, and not I just felt like too. Yeah, with Oklahoma, they didn't I just felt like Creighton was better at the style of play that the game was going to be dictated at. Um, what I didn't expect was both teams to kind of struggle from the field and Creighton to have to win a whistle game. That yep. was surprising, I think. Yeah. But uh, when you look at the way the shooting percentages went, you know Creighton was just a little bit better from three, a little bit better from the field, and um, you know, that ultimately it played out. They were a little bit cleaner, um, I think, uh, and just the way they were able to move the ball and create offense with ball movement. And Marcus Zagorowski made some incredible passes in the second half to find guys easy buckets. That one inside. he had in transition early to DJ. Mm-hmm. That was nice. How about the one the at the end of the pass. game where it's <laughs> Denzel? I mean, late, had, late shot clock, normally yeah. when a guy is ISOing late shot clock, he's looking for his own shot. And Marcus, you know, when you, look, when you think about a guy's internal clock and how much control they have over the game, that's not a sophomore. Yeah. Because he had about five position. seconds left, yeah. did a little crossover, got in the teeth of the defense, and gave it to Denzel with about two seconds left. Denzel got it up with one second left, and the ball went through the hoop with, at the buzzer. Like That was just a beautifully timed play all around by a point guard who was putting together some performances that are beyond his years at this point. Although, age-wise, not really beyond his he years. Also, his he also uh, had a nice little, I think it was like a wraparound pass to Bishop, who then got fouled mm-hmm. inside, like in traffic. He just yeah. like... Uh, somehow got it. I couldn't even see. I, there's a, I think there's like four bodies in between me and the ball. I couldn't really tell how. All I saw was like he. Yeah. Well, Marcus is he driving in the middle. Windows, wasn't he? Yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden Christian has a ball. Um, so, yeah, he made some good. I mean, look at the line. How about 20, Christian Bishop for what, what the free throw line tonight? Yeah, that was uh, that was important. I thought it's two free throws. Uh, let's look at it. Eight fifty two. So the Jays um, had. They went. Denzel went one and two from the line. Next possession, uh, Tyshawn misses the front end. Then Mitch goes to the line, makes one and two. So there's like a lot of points left out on the on the board there. Yeah. And the lead's only four. Then Christian goes to the line. And you're thinking like, you know, if he goes over over one, if he, I think it was a one and one. Maybe no, it's maybe a two shot foul. But if it's like if he goes one and two or zero of two, like, I mean, Crane's gonna kick itself this for this stretch. But he made them both and kept the momentum on Crane's side. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, man, Marcus Segarowski's line, by the way, twenty eight and seven. Twenty eight and seven. So yeah. twenty points, eight rebounds, seven assists. I mean twenty points on eight shots, he it was twelve of fourteen at the line. Um, you know, and he had seven of Creighton's fourteen assists. I think I just looked it up. So that's his sixth fifteen point five assist game this year. Obviously, some of those are thirty and six and thirty and eight, but I'm kinda of shortchanging it a little bit. But I just moved the bar down a little bit to fifteen and five. He's got six of those games and he's leading the big east in that. Charlie Moore has five. Um, no one else has more than three. So, um, putting together an all-around. Uh, if you want a, you want an all-around point guard, someone who isn't just a distributor or can make the defense. I mean, just the way he can pick apart a defense because he can score at all three levels. And now we're starting to see him be able to see the floor, you know, and know where guys are going to be. I mean, that play, like I said, I already talked about it, but the play at the end of the shot clock with the game winding down, the way he executed that from a five seconds left in the shot clock ISO situation to finding a shot for a teammate with enough time to finish it. Um, just incredible. Yeah. I mean, incredible feel for a game on display right there. Did you think, just kind of a general question, you think Creighton's, well, first up, did you think Creighton lacked flow offensively? Oh, definitely. Okay, yeah. So. I think I think midway through the first half, they just... So I, don't do know, you think, I don't know if their legs started to get a little heavy because of all the energy they were expending on the defensive end to just deal with the the you know the little bit of little bit more length and physicality that Oklahoma was bringing, especially when there was a point where Oklahoma was like, "Look, let's just get downhill, get to the rim as much as possible." Yeah, I could hear, I could hear, up. I could hear Oklahoma's coaches in the, at the end of the first half yelling, "Drive it, drive yeah, it, yeah, drive yeah. it!" I felt um, like Oklahoma was like, "Stop settling for the jumpers against these guys. We're bigger than yeah. them. We're tougher than them." Well, yeah, so like maybe that weird into the Creighton's legs a little bit because it's all like they were standing around a lot and there was one shot, or two passes, uh, then a ball screen, and then kind of like a stand around, everybody wait and right. watch type of deal. Well, so do you think that that had more to do with uh, adding a piece in Denzel Mahoney or more to do with Oklahoma's length and size? And I think it certainly does to your first point about Denzel Mahoney because the one thing that I think Creighton was lacking in those moments of. Uh, where they were stagnating offensively, was just a ball screen to generate the movement that Marcus needs to get into the team of defense and get the defense rotating, and then everybody knows how to move off of that at some point. Um, where it goes to the, your point about having a new guy in there was Denzel playing the five and DJ playing the four a lot. Uh, I don't know if DJ's as much of a ball screener, and it seemed like he was late on a few of those and had to be yeah. told to go set a ball screen several times um, to kind of get the offense flowing a little bit. So... I certainly think having a new guy on the floor playing heavy minutes, what he only played twenty nine minutes in his yep. debut, um, certainly had a big factor. Yeah, in, in that. I thought I thought Christian. Well, we yeah we mentioned Christian already in, in in this impact, but I thought his impact on offense was important too because he did allow them to kind of find that flow once he was mm-hmm. able out of foul trouble and able to just play. Uh, and and for that stretch in the second half when Creighton kind of made its push to put. To build a big enough lead to where Oklahoma couldn't come back, like mm-hmm. I thought he he did, he did some good things too, and obviously hustled for some offensive boards. I think he had four offensive boards and um, made a difference there. But like when he when he was in the game, it's like okay, this feels more natural. Yeah. When he's out of the game, all of a sudden it's 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 Mahoney at the five, and it's like, well, they haven't practiced this much at all, and you could tell. Mm-hmm. So um, I do. I want to talk about Tyshawn real quick because I, I did to compete with some of our questions. First of all, we got a lot of them tonight, so um, thanks everybody for chiming in. Um, we'll tackle those in a second, but I want to talk about Tyshawn because I don't think we got asked about him yet. And uh, I mean, nineteen and eleven, I felt like he was doing he was vital to um, the second half defensive performance against Too Little because he was he was always making that guy just unsure about putting the ball on the deck. Yep, because he and he picked coming. him one yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, his all. I mean, he shot. He was six of seventeen from the field, and I just don't think if you get you get that type of performance out of Tyshawn from a defensive standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, and from an ability to find other ways to score the basketball instead of just settling for jumpers, because he was six of seventeen, but only nine of those were threes. Um, he was three of nine. So, uh, you know, only one turnover in 39 minutes. I just don't think – I think we're seeing a little him turn into a little bit more of a complete player, um, you know, kind of in this 10-11 game stretch here of the season that maybe wasn't there in the in the past couple of years of his I career. did think, though, like my only sort of critique would be in the first half when the offense was stagnant. Mm-hmm. Like I think Tyshawn 
was forcing it a little bit, okay. like in terms of taking jump shots that before. I mean, I I think Creighton's fine with Tyshawn taking tough jump shots late in the shot clock, but I just thought early. It felt like a little bit too early, like 10 seconds too early because I couldn't work the ball around a little bit more and kind of played a little bit more collaboratively before he felt like he had to force that. that just, there was a few possessions where he maybe shot um, when he didn't need to. But Well, that one's probably your fault because you posted that stat about how good he is really. <laughs> yeah, right. How so many, that's your bad. Yeah, that was in transition, though. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, there was um, an important caveat there. But other than that, like, yeah, he <clears> – <throat> It's incredible. I mean, he's their leading rebounder. Mm-hmm. Tyshawn Alexander mm-hmm. is Creighton's leading rebounder. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have ever um, expected that. And he's like, he played 39 minutes and, and was like constantly present, you know, and mm-hmm. like never a moment when you thought he, like, oh, is, is, is Tyshawn engaged? I was like, yeah. I mean, he's like right there playing tough defense, as you said. That's it. They they'd switch at times and he'd be guarding. I mean, he guarded Manic. Yeah, he guarded Doolittle. Yeah, um, he guarded Reeves a lot. I mean, the, the yeah, three, I thought, I thought the him, three most important offensive players for Oklahoma were guarded by Tyshawn Alexander yeah. every single possession. Essentially, he didn't ever guard anybody anybody of insignificance. You know what I mean? That's what it felt like. Um, yeah, he was always guarding one of their go to guys. And, yeah, uh, and, and doing a good job. I just think it's interesting. I just the, I just think the most interesting part of his performances so far this year. Um, have been when you know he came into the year with a lot of accolades like a lot of like just it's almost like you know people in the big east and the coaches that vote on the preseason stuff and you know and all those watch lists that that get guys that are you know kind of coming into their upperclassmen season some 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 offseason mojo and some hype um is those guys might you know fall into a you know a tendency to press a little bit and try to get theirs and try to live up to all that and I don't feel like I can think of too many instances this year where, you know, he's tried to, you know, impose his will offensively on the game and where that has gone south on him and, and turned into a, a performance that hurts the team. You know what I mean? I think that's pretty impressive because I think it would be easy to do considering how much attention he was getting from, you know, just, like I said, the preseason watch list and then the – yeah, the the preseason coaches in the Big East and stuff like that. I think that shows. I think there's just a mentality shift with him, and I I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because of Mitch and Marcus. Maybe it's just him maturing as a person too, being part of this culture that's very sort of prides itself on being unselfish and kind mm-hmm. of being team first and the the style of offense they run. Like they want to celebrate each other's success because they feel like they're a part of it. Like that moment in the press conference when when. Coach McDermott's talking about watching film with Christian and hey, you set this screen, Christian, and it was it, it meant a lot. And he's trying to get Christian to understand that like doing the little things, even if they don't show up on the box score, means a ton. Um, and and how important that is, like that's kind of the philosophy. Um, I guess maybe one of the tenets that Coach McDermott's trying to instill in all his guys. And I feel like it's like Touchdown Alexander's bought into that, and yeah. that. His his play is a result of his mentality, kind of like being team first. And you're right; it could have been easy for him to to sort of be, be like, "My ball, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my." I gotta put up Miles yeah. Powell, Marcus Howard numbers. I gotta play like Miles yeah, Miles yeah. Powell right. or Marcus Howard, right. but because I'm uh, grouped with them, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm an all Big East guy, and they are too. But uh, he's, you know, to his credit, he's he's playing like a, uh, I mean. He's making an impact in, in different ways. And yeah. I mean, you know what it boils down to? is like I think they just got a bunch of dudes on this team that want to win. Uh, yeah. You know, like you could, I think we could probably argue who, has, who you know, embodies that maybe more and how much of that is infectious. Um, but they just got a bunch of dudes that just want to win and want to do whatever. Like, they just want to try to learn different ways to affect the game that – because I think they learned that last year – you know, several times, um, how much just extra effort here, um, being more sound on the scouting report defensively, uh, you know, making the effort on the glass despite being outsized, um, just more teeth, more fight, how much that affects winning and losing, considering how many games they lost, not only down the stretch when they had leads, but just 
games that were like teetering at some point, maybe the five, six minute mark, and you know, it was there for the taking, and the yeah. other team took it, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I think they learned a hard lesson last year about what it takes to win those type of games and how much that affects your season when it comes to being NCAA tournament or NIT because as much as they lost last year, I think they were almost surprised at the end of the year by like how close they were actually to you know, being on the bubble and making this with tournament. One or two of those results, if they finish the Ohio State game, maybe that's enough. If they finish the Gonzaga game, maybe that's enough. Like, they were close despite also not being as close, you know what I mean? Yeah, but you I know what? I think they learned hard lessons that way, and now they're just like, I don't care what it looks like, I just want to win. You know, as I was thinking about as you were talking, it's just like last year, even though Creighton lost those close games in different ways, some were similar, some were different, mm-hmm. but like the reason why they lost all those close games was like you could really boil it down to kind of one thing, which is basically what you're talking about. And like my my thought is, is like, Sure, like they're not gonna. If they could replay that season mm-hmm. with the same type of mentality that they brought, like tonight, for example, mm-hmm. they would find that they would actually they'd turn the tide in a lot of those games, um, rather definitively, and maybe some of those games wouldn't even been close at the wouldn't end. Wouldn't even go down the stretch. Yeah, sure. yeah. Because um, this one really didn't like, either. Like this one was right. Like, this one last year, this game would have been a couple uh, possessions. A, yeah, a yeah. nail biter down the stretch. Right. Uh, and they they might have lost it, but like, I guess like the defining they were missing that defining trait last year, mm-hmm. and it led to a lot of close losses. And you can kind of nitpick at the reason for each in each game it was like, well, that that turnover there or that missed shot there, but it was more about like a whole sort all of, of that in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. And and they seem to have, I mean, again, it's it's December, but they've they've now won. Games in this way, argue, multiple times. I'd argue three. I'd argue yeah, three. I think Louisiana Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech are games they wouldn't have won. Last and that's year. that's their, those are their three best wins, mm-hmm. and they've done it in in a, in a way that, um, you know, wasn't like it's it's not how they would. It's not it's, yeah, it's not how they were drawn up, and it's not how they won games last year. Right. <laughs> like these games they lost last year. Yep. Most most of the time, the only like I was thinking like one of the close games they won last year were. They had a kind of like it was the ETSU game, but in that game, they, that was a close game that they won. Mm-hmm. But in that game, they um, hit a ton of shots late. Mm-hmm. It was more they won it because of offense, and I feel like that happened a few times too, um, where they won games because of their offense. Yeah. It wasn't until late in the year that they started kind of flipping it a little bit. <coughs> it's funny there were a few Martin. wins that there like that. that broke through the cracks of, like, they had to be tough to win, though. I think Butler at home was one. Marquette Providence, on the road, Marquette, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like Providence were, at home. Providence yeah. at home because they gave away that big lead and yeah. go to overtime and they didn't fold. But it um, wasn't, like, it, it wasn't firmly implanted as yeah. part of their uh, yeah. DNA. It was they, just, like, a blip, 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 like, but it wasn't consistent. Right, and, and they're starting to find some consistency with it now. Yeah. Especially at home. I think in projecting home court is huge if you want to be in a switch. They've definitely – well, and they've talked about that. Yeah. How, how – that being kind of something that – Because I don't um, think – I don't think NCAA tournament teams are expected to be world beaters on the road unless you're trying to be a one or a two seed. I think, you know, and try to pave a easy road through the – into the second weekend. Like, I think, you know, most teams that make the NCAA tournament would probably have, you know, be – one or two games under 500 on the road, but if they protect home court, they put themselves in a good position, I think. Yeah. Because then you're just looking for some, you know, three or four quality wins away from home to show the committee that you can do it. But if you take care of home court, you're usually in a pretty good position on Selection Sunday. So this was why tonight was pretty big. Yeah. I think I would argue even bigger than Oklahoma or Arizona State coming up. Now, if they had lost that, then they would have to go beat Arizona State and <laughs> yeah. negate it. Right. But how I, I think – I, I don't think, know. It, I, I think I think there's a little bit of house money that they have going into the Arizona State game now because they took care of home court yeah. tonight. Because they didn't do that and, last and, year. Right. And that's and that that'll if they can continue to do that, they'll feel like mm-hmm. they'll feel that they're playing with house money on the road during league play a True. lot. Yeah. Like Which go, will free them up to play right. the way they want to play. Go you, you beat Marquette at home, then you kinda of feel a little bit looser playing at Butler, and then mm-hmm. you beat Villanova and then you feel a little bit looser playing at Xavier, you know, that kind of thing. But if suddenly you lose one at home, then you f- there's there's sort of that pressure that yeah, urges to right. get it back on the road, and that can lead to some issues. So, yeah, you make a good point on that. Should we jump into the questions now? Let's do it. This might take us a while. We started to get quite a bit. Um, let's see. 
Okay, so the first one from Joey Tempo. Uh, midseason transfers, an option for the Jays who have an open scholarship? Question mark. Um, as who's in, on, like, I don't know who's even on the transfer market. As in, like, eligible season. immediately? Like a JUCO route? Uh, as in, like, I don't know. Or just, like... Or as in some guy you add now. And, I mean, you would add him now, but they'd still sit. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Who's even on that list? I can't think of anybody without me. Minikinjo, obviously. Uh, Blanc, you don't yeah. want but I don't think either of those guys. I mean, LeBlanc's got some baggage, and Akinjo doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Who else is out there? I'm sure there's some, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I honestly, and, and from a Creighton standpoint, I haven't heard too many transfer targets on top of mind yet. From what I'm hearing so far, there's some international guys they're looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Al Huss was on the road. What was that? During finals week. He was, yeah. like, all over the place in Europe, so. Yeah. I think they have, but they'll they'll have they'll pursue somebody with that open scholarship uh, from a transfer standpoint. I I wouldn't be surprised if they make a push for get another big guy. Mm. Whether it's the grad, I mean, whether it's grad transfer or, or try to get somebody eligible, it just seems like you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. You with your, <laughs> with, your numbers with the numbers, yeah. yeah. And this no this doubt. is a you kind of learning. They're learning the lesson the hard way this year. Mm. Um, that that you can't have enough. So it it just becomes hard. Creighton uh, is at its best when it's able to sell playing time and opportunity. And if you're gonna go try to attract a big man or really any position right that right now, who's gonna be an instant impact type player? Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard because the roles are filled. And even next year, um, sure, there's a depth question on on the interior, but. You're bringing in a freshman in Ryan Cockbrenner, who's really highly touted. So. Yeah. Yeah, it would make. I mean, it would make sense to bring in a veteran if you know that they're going to be a f- ideal fit for your style. You know, for one thing, because you have a question mark about Jacob Epperson. Two, say Cockbrenner isn't ready to hit the ground running from day one. Yeah. You want to kind of ease him into things, um, but you also want that veteran to be able to fit in. You know what I mean? You don't just want right. a guy that you feel like you can play and. Then, have Culpepper steal all his minutes at the end of the year, yeah. towards down yeah. the stretch, right? Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, but definitely, uh, I mean, if there's a that's that's one area they're going to hit pretty hard in the off season for sure. Uh, Brian wants to know what's up with Mints. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's complicated. I don't really know which way to tackle this from. Um, he's practicing. Uh, he ran scout team yesterday. Uh, to get the Jays ready for Oklahoma, but it's not a day. It's like a day to day thing where it doesn't always feel like he can give enough to be back in the mix it's, and play. It kind like, of feels like, and you correct me, what you, like it feels like he's just constantly at like seventy percent. Yeah, like he can't crack into eighty, ninety. Um, and Coach McDermott mentioned, I think it was yesterday that. There was a little bit of a setback in terms of the swelling <coughs> after Mint's practice, like two or three days in a row. Then yeah. the ankle swelled up a little bit more. And the only the reason I push back on setback is because, like, this is kind of where he's been at for about a week and a half or so. So I don't know if it's a setback or just like that's currently. That was what he referred yeah, to. That's I, how McDermott kind of characterized. That's it. just where he's at. Yeah. I mean, it's it, and that's the if he if he can clear that hurdle, he'll be back. Um, where it gets kind of complicated is. If he doesn't feel like he can contribute this year, he wants to redshirt. Or he's at least considering taking that redshirt year that he has because, you know, the four years to – or the five years to play four and and just trying to go full at it with the second senior season, if you will. Um, because if he comes back, he can't – he doesn't have that option. And if he comes back and he's not – he never gets to that 80% range, he's not going to play much and he won't be effective. You yeah. Know what I mean? So there's, there's a little bit of – risk involved in terms of the decision he's trying to make. He's trying to he wants to wait till he's healthy. Yeah. But right now he's but he's but he's trying on a daily daily basis. He's back on the practice floor as much as he possibly can. Um, he's just dealing with some swelling and some fluid buildup in his Achilles area. Um, and it's just it's just really tight on him sometimes and sometimes he can barely cut, move laterally, um, without without a lot of pain. Um, but it's a process right now, so 
it's a complicated question. I hope we were able to at least ease, uh, give you guys some insight into what's going on there, but it's definitely not an easy situation for him right now. Um, let's see where we're at. Uh, John McCoy wants to know, maybe I was just sitting with my typical Homer crew, but what was up with some of those calls tonight? Hard to remember <laughs> seeing Coach Mack that agitated so many times in a game. Um, I don't know if any of them were terrible. I think the Tyshawn foul was bad because I don't know how. On Reeves. Yeah, because yeah. there was like the three-shot foul on Tyshawn and then the contact tech from Reeves initiating contact that led to the foul. Like, I was confused by it. Yeah, I don't understand. That whole sequence of what. I don't understand what the technical was for. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. I didn't feel like Tyshawn fouled him. I felt like the contact was initiated and that's what the tech was for. What someone explained, I think it was actually talking to Robbie, is that once he came down, Reeves came down, he raised his elbow up and and caught Tyshawn with his elbow. Was interesting. How someone explained to it, but anyway, yeah, yeah so there, I don't there were that there one. were a few really weird ones. That that I, I mean, Denzel's uh, flagrant one was um, definitely like the next level up in terms of the physicality of a foul. But I don't know if he kind of just got the raw end of being a strong dude. And I know that's what I was thinking. Just his, I mean, he just like, kind of came down on his yeah. arm and Doolittle went down. He tried to hold him up the whole time, so that was a that was an iffy one. But I don't know. I thought. Considering how the game was starting to get chippy and it was like trending towards the direction of like possibly getting away from the officials, I thought they they did a pretty decent job of keeping it from getting to that point. I, I, I think thought. what was interesting or interesting, I don't know. So there were there were I don't know if they were borderline calls, but they were like calls that had the judgment sort of in the moment calls mm-hmm. that like um, they have kind of a major consequence. Sure. Like flagrant one is two shots two in the shots ball, ball right. and foul on the three is three shots and especially given the shot that Reeves took it was like a wild sort yeah. of leaner 26 feet from the basket like the, the percentage of that going in is very low and you give him three shots uh, Tyshawn Alexander looked like he got fouled on on a back cut layup at the rim yeah and made a contest mm-hmm, yeah. and didn't get the call and so then Oklahoma I think came down and hit a three Manic hit a three on that sequence right after that. And so it was like all of that, you know, nor, uh, n- and normally in, 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 in a game setting, you, those, those calls will be kind of split relatively evenly. It usually doesn't happen bang, 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 all against one team. And then that, sent, and that, um, that stretch of play it did. And so um, the Jays had to find a way to kind of rally. But certainly, yeah, the crowd was very upset. Yeah, you know, and, and, actually, could, and actually the sequence you're talking about, um, first, on the Doolittle one, on the flagrant one for Denzel, I think Doolittle split the free throws, if I'm not mistaken. I thought he made them both. Did he make them both? No, you're right, he did. He made them both. But then they got the ball back, and then they called like a weak little travel on Doolittle, and he was trying to back down. Like I think it was a little bit of a shuffle of his feet, and they're like, travel. I thought he changed his pivot foot. Did he? I, I, thought. I thought it was a I don't know. I, mean, I, I didn't see him blatantly travel. I so thought Tyshawn like, got away with a, a swipe on the arm. But, okay. So, so yeah, they gave the ball. They gave the ball back to CU on that one right away. Um, but the one that you're talking about with the the contact tech and the three shot foul. So Reeves hit his three. Tyshawn hit his two. Creighton got the ball back. Then Tyshawn drove to the rim, got fouled by Manic, no call, and that's when Manic hit the three. So that was a big. That was a big moment. A big moment yeah. in, the, in the game for sure, and that was all based on that. You know that moment of chaos where yeah. it was like, "What's going on here?" What are you and, and typically, and I guess what I was saying is typically, and that was when Mac was going nuts to the or to John's question. It was like, "Yeah, he was freaking." Yeah. When Tyshawn went down and didn't get the call, Mac was like on the floor, yeah, trying to figure out why. And and it just seems like most of the time, like they won't always go against one team. The calls, mm. and I guess you could argue that it didn't because Reeves got teed up in the middle of that. Yeah, but. um yeah, it, it was it was a tough. From, it was an from odd stretch. It was an odd stretch, and it was just a tough game overall to officiate because both teams were spacing the floor and then trying to attack downhill, mm-hmm. and via like those old school post ups where it's like you know shoulder into the chest and like oh there was and, one early in the first half where Denzel he tried to draw it. I thought he drew it pretty good from my I angle. I don't know if you well. disagree, but because sometimes we think the guys like Marcus Zagorowski got one earlier this year where he literally oh, yeah, made he, the noise yeah. of like. Ugh. 
before the yeah, contact. Email. That's right. Remember that one? Hey, yeah, yeah. did they? Yeah, before before the contact. Yeah, and happened. he got the call, and we're like, "What? That dude, that was just horrible timing." Uh, but Denzel, I felt like he took that one clean in the chest, and then went down, and he it was like a no call. So yeah. again, I, and they, I think they gave him the floppy warning on that one too, because the ref did do the. Um, they gotta fix that hand signal because it's just not cool. It's just weird to see it like. Flop. Yeah, I don't like it. It's weird. Can, um, can, can they do like a like a maybe like a fist pump or like a, <laughs> a trucker pulling the pulling pulling the the horn? Yeah, I'm not something sure. something like that or, or it's it's really every time I, I see it, and I feel chest like, pound, chest pound. Yeah, something like that. It has to be one arm or the LeBron like double. Oh, okay, uh, I like that. If we're lower going, the roof, if they have or, to or use push two, the roof down, if they have to use two hands, I like to push. The raise, roof. Maybe we just raise the roof. Raise the roof is a cool thing that. We need more in our society. So, so we need referees to do it. Referees just raise. Feel like the roof. that'll improve referee fan relations too if they're doing that. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay. I think everyone can vibe with that. And I'm so if, if they're raising the roof, it's like, oh, that dude was flopping. I'm with you. Get him out. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like all those options better than what <laughs> yeah, they currently. Yeah, it, it, it is a terrible gesture. I saw some fans like calling for it in the stands. It's like, no, no, it doesn't work. Like, that yes, what I mean. Good. Like, it doesn't look good. The travel it's, thing is like one thing, or the yeah. charge, or the ball. But like, you can do all that, it, and it looks like, like you got some swagger it, to you. That just doesn't have a cool look. You know what the 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 one one of the things that that like football players are so tough. They look like ballers you know on the field in so many situations but when they're calling for the flag and they're mimicking the referee pulling the flag out, out of their pants. their pants yeah and they're like <laughs> just like using their hand and like gesturing upward with their hand over and over it's like that's not a good look right. like you don't don't <laughs> Never act, don't don't mime the flag pull because yeah. that doesn't i don't not 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 enjoying that one and so same same goes here for the for the flop for sure call don't don't well, just let the refs do it. They'll they'll have to look like silly dudes. Yeah, I hope we answered your question, John. We kind of got on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, a bit. Um, thanks yeah. for the question, though. That's a lot. Um, uh, Shooter, you wants to know: Did Mahoney do enough to become a starter? Um, I mean, I don't, he played I feel starter like, minutes. Yeah, he did play so. starter minutes. Yeah, I mean, do you really want to start a small lineup? Like. I think people were just wondering if he's going to start ahead of Damien. Oh. Interesting. What do you think? I don't think that would be a thing. I think that at some point in the year it, it will it, happen. Yeah. Interesting. But I do – here's the I thing, Damian, though. I thought Damien played pretty well. No, I, and there's, nothing, defensively I was, there's nothing against Damien. Oh, okay. I, just, I got I just, you. What, if Denzel did enough to supplant him, is what you're saying, basically? But I don't know, man. It, it was like Ronnie Harrell – two years ago when he was coming off the bench and then eventually someone got hurt I think and he had to start starting but like he just brought a, a, another level of energy and he talked about a lot of times how he liked coming off the bench I didn't ask Denzel and talked to Denzel about it coming off the bench or starting whatever well he, like, he, he practically started tonight because yeah, that's, that's true that's, that's true like, yeah. I mean that was I was in. like Max going to him now okay right. like dang but um, I don't know like I, li- I kind of like the idea of bring in some like an enforcer type guy a guy who's going to have a different sort of impact on the game he's going to feel different than every other player that's mm-hmm. going on and the then board. you hit him you hit the other team with that when they're already tired after running up and down mm-hmm. after like two or three minutes and then you bring denzel and it's like whoa yeah. like yeah i mean i i, I so like bringing a dude who can also play that style and he's how much? How much does he weigh? Like, yeah, like he's how strong? strong? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. That, I think I, it's smart for them to bring that counter punch off the bench. Yeah, because yeah. I think you need a spark on your off your bench. Yeah, and like, um, so if and, you, and you put him Sharif, and Sharif into right. a second rotation. Yeah, that's just an absolute pest on the ball and a guy that you have to like. And if he's going to play, like, like tonight he played 29 minutes. He basically played like a starter anyway. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to do that, like, it's fine. You can still. I don't know. I, that's, yeah. We'll see how it works out. But I, I personally am a fan of like never letting that team take a break. Yeah. And by, you know, no, like of not having, not necessarily having the five best to start the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you know you're gonna have the five. Your your go to five at the end of the half and right. the game. Yeah. But hit them in waves, basically. Mm. That makes sense. No, I like it. Um, Sam Norland wants to know has oh my god. 
Sam Allen wants to know, has there been a player hated more by Jays fans by the end of a game than Austin Reeves that you can remember? <laughs> um, man, he had like a vintage... Did he interact like, with the... I didn't see Kira, like... Did he interact with uh, the crowd much? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Man, but he was flopping all over the place. I'm, like, it's amazing he did not draw the second tee because, uh, man, there was one where he flopped twice on one three-point shot. Like, he, he he went up and flopped, like, the like the swipe, and, like, the shot was way off because of that. And then he, like, fell in the follow-through, and it's like, that was two flops right there. <laughs> now, did you not call, you're not calling either of those? And it's like... He was he was he definitely had some gamesmanship to him for sure. And when he drew the tech on Tyshawn, uh, or not the tech, but the foul on Tyshawn, he was talking, um, and just the Mitch's Marcus's faces were like, "You're ridiculous!" Like it was pretty funny. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think who could possibly fall into the category of most hated, like opponent. It seems like like going that's just, leaving a game that maybe wasn't like thought yeah, of that's to what I'm saying. It's like it starts one, right. Starts not no hatred and then leaves hatred. Yeah. Um, one I can think of, maybe, uh, and this is going to like seem like a cop box. I'm staying on Xavier. It's not Makira though. I think Jalen Reynolds when uh, when they were like fifth in the country and I think Creighton beat them by like I don't know, pretty good. They like were like one for twenty from three that night or something. Um, it was Maurice Watson's junior year, um, and Xavier was fifth, and Creighton beat him pretty handily. I'm pretty sure Reynolds fouled out, but he was getting it from the fans pretty bad. He like flipped him off and everything, and it was mm. like so. I felt, and I I didn't feel like he was someone on everybody's radar going into the game as like a a villainous opponent, but I think he was by the end of that night. Let me see. I mean. Uh- can we count Sam Hauser in that mix? Because he hit that oh, shot. Okay, yeah. And that qualifies for sure. I mean, I don't think he was really on anybody's radar until he hit that shot, and then all of a sudden it's like, not that he was like overly demonstrative or anything mm-hmm. to enrage fans, but that 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 memory I'm sure hurts. Um. That was a really good question, though. I'm trying to dig into the, into the memory bank of dudes who just, like, balled out and had some swagger to them. They were getting booed. Mm. Yeah, Austin Reeves definitely earned... Uh, <laughs> he definitely earned the, the the jeers he was getting tonight, though. I felt like uh, one of the more sort of, like... Shamori Ponds last year, I don't know if it hit the fans in a way that like made them react negatively, but he was when he went on that stretch when St. John's went on that stretch at the end of the first half where they scored like fifteen points in two minutes or something like that and mm. basically won the game. Like he was hopping around the court, looking around and just yelling at Everybody. Everybody, and I don't know how fans <coughs> felt about that, but I I remember thinking like I was in the hockey press box that night. So okay, I, yeah, I remember I thinking that like if I were on Creighton's team and he were doing that on my home court, I, we would I would be upset. They were, yeah. I don't think anybody on the Creighton's team, ironically, but the problem they, is they didn't because they wanted him. But it. I think everybody on Creighton's team did not like. I think they hated St. John's the most. Yeah, but I'm, that's what I'm but saying. They did like, not do it. Yeah, from a standpoint of on the court, they didn't do shit about it. Right. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was, uh, uh, he was enjoying and relishing that moment, mm-hmm. and he had that ability to do that. Yeah, he definitely did. He could be like, I'm just gonna take this one over and talk my game at the same time. Yeah. Um, Danny Sullivan wants to know how refreshing was it to have a flagrant foul, even if it wasn't a good call from a team with mantras, "Let it fly" and "Shooter you. Uh, yeah, some. Um, what like borderline dirty play, if you will, from a team that's 
That, that was that, okay. as Norris Suburban Horse as Greg Marshall once that's, coined it. That's, is, is that what he said? Yeah, he called it Suburban Horse. That, to me, and I wasn't covering Creighton at the time, was what was so comical and laughable about the fact that like North Carolina and North Carolina fans oh, still yeah. think this, I'm sure, that Creighton's a dirty program. The Gregory program. game where they were like sending highlight reels in. Yeah. yeah. The Ethan Roggy. Yeah, I still Kendall see it. Marshall. Every now and then it'll pop on my Twitter feed of like North oh, Carolina yeah. fans like talking about Creighton being dirty. And I'm like, I mean, I, Sure. I, uh, before my time, so I didn't watch it. I don't. I don't even know. But I'm just thinking about this program and what its reputation is and what I've seen. And it's like they're not. They usually aren't the scrappy team that's just gonna kind of like be pest. And I mean, they're more finesse. Yeah. Now tonight, were you down in San Antonio trying to change it, in 2013, 14 when Nebraska and Creighton? No, I wasn't down there. Oh, okay, because North Carolina was also there in the pod, if you will. And just going out on the town, if their fans saw anybody in Creighton gear, they were like, and two years later, and if they saw anybody in Creighton gear, it was like, it was like going down. Yeah, it was like, you guys ruined our national championship. Oh, like they're 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 hanging on to it. Yeah, I think I think it was like five years later, and uh, um, Mac told me that him and Raz are still getting emails from like North Carolina <laughs> lawyers, like threatening to sue the university for that national championship that was taken away when Rocky fouled Marshall. Um, so yeah, they're they're holding on to that one. Right. I think even to this day. Um, but yeah, how refreshing was it to have a yeah the a bullies from Creighton, from, uh, the bullies from Creighton, right. the Bulldogs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't think it was that flagrant of a foul. I mean, obviously it, it was a pretty hard foul, and I think he ended up hitting his jaw on the floor. So yeah, yeah, I understand the call. But Denzel, but I mean, yeah, Denzel's like, strong though, man. Yeah, but it goes to your point earlier about um, what Marcus said with, like, we're not going to be the bigger team, um, we're not going to be the stronger team, but we can be the tougher team. Yeah. And that plays an example of it. Like, Doolittle was kind of going off for a minute there, and, you know, that play was in the second half, I think. Part of the second half where he was two for nine from the field. You know, who knows what a play like, what what type of tone a play like that, just a hard foul like that where it's not, you know, dirty. But it's, it's a hard, hard but it's a hard foul. Yeah. It's like, look, you're not going to have it as easy as you had it in the first 20 minutes. What type of tone that sets, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. um, you know, he was two for nine in the second half. Who knows what kind of ripple effect that type of stuff has. But it certainly has been a, a tactic employed against the Jays by the rest of the Big East for yeah, I was gonna say, a number of years. So yeah. if anybody's like, going to cry foul about it, like Creighton kind of owes a bunch of teams if that's <laughs> in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, from that sense to have a team that's willing to – you know, stay in the pocket and trade punches uh, more so than past teams. It's definitely a good sign going forward that Creighton has a little bit more of a fight to him. Um, let's see. Uh, Zach Helms wants to know, uh, Jacob Everson's looking like he's getting around okay for what happened to him. Is there a chance he comes back? Uh, oh, there's three questions here. Sorry, that's the first one. Slim to none. Yeah, I would be. I would be shocked to like my bones if he came back from that this early to yeah. play this year. But he does look like he's getting around. If, I think that is an encouraging thing that he is. Yeah, he's off his crutches, off his crutches yeah, and no he's moving around. Like I said, I think I said in the last one that if you walked in the gym and I told you to point out the kid that broke his leg, you know, like a month ago, who who is it? Yeah, it would be tough to tell. Um, so that is an encouraging sign that he's walking around again. But I am. We have totally written him off as far as an option this year, right? So, yeah, no chance is the answer. Uh, I said slim to none. So I'm going to say none. Okay. So, yeah, there it is. We're, we're both. Yeah. Next question. Next question. Um, how good was Oklahoma? Um, well, I mean, going into the game, they were a top 40 net team. I think they were 37, so that's a Q2 yeah. win at home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it's going to be. You think for the. A, qual- uh, a Q2 win. Okay. Yeah. I don't think Oklahoma's going to... Because they get the Q1, they have to be a top 35? Top 30 team. Top 35 is... No, a top home. 30 team for home. Yeah, 1 through 30 is home. Yeah. Q1. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. I don't think Oklahoma's going to get there. Yeah, that's going to be pretty tough. I think Oklahoma looks like a, a potential NCAA tournament team. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where... They certainly look like a bubble team, which, yeah. is, and which is why it's important to be a team like that. Yeah. Because if you're you going to be on the bubble, you want to have the head-to-head matchup. Right. Um, but, I mean, they've beaten a Minnesota team who just waxed Ohio State. You know, we thought they weren't going to be very good, but they, you know, they got that quality win. 
Um, they've beaten Missouri on a neutral floor. Um, Oregon State's like eight and one. I don't know how good Oregon State is. Yeah, what but, type of schedule they've played or anything like that? Yeah, but yeah, that's that's a decent one. I mean, they had they had Wichita State beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. They had a lead on Wichita State, and it was a ten point lead in the second half. Yeah, yeah. but Shockers made a, a strong push yeah. to. I mean, if that game was at neutral side or home side, then Oklahoma would have won. Right. Um. Um. Yeah, they're they're good. I think they're going to be. I think that, like they'll their ceiling is a bubble team. They look like a middle of the pack Big Twelve team. Yeah. With yeah. yeah. And, so the, I think could, all, could fall could fall into the out of the NCAA tournament to the NIT and but if you look at the rest could of their, be a, if you look could at the be rest, an eight seed if you look at the rest of their schedule they're going to play a UCF team who's one hundred two and I don't have the net in front of me sorry so I'm just going off Kempom apologies um, UCF is one hundred two and Kempom they're going to play them at home next um, and then everybody after that is top eighty and the worst team they play is K State at seventy eight and Kempom so everybody everybody other than K State is going to be top sixty. So they're going to have opportunities to get quality wins, which will, you know, ultimately enhance Creighton's stock. A yeah. Bit, so, but like I would say, KU, Baylor, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State <coughs> are better. Is that it in the Big Twelve? Okay. So they look like I like if you're. I, I would say I, I would say fifth. In the I Big would have right I now. would have agreed with Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago. Oh, but you're off that. Um, so they have a chance. Well, Oklahoma State just got waxed by I think Wichita and Georgetown. So I'm oh. a little bit down. Okay. Late. I thought they were looking pretty good though. Yeah, they beat, I know. They beat Penn State and they killed Syracuse, but now Syracuse. Is Syracuse is scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I'm they up have with a chance. They have a chance to finish fourth. Yeah, yeah. The teams you listed are all. But like, Iowa State, Texas. Oklahoma. TCU, yeah, TCU. Yeah, I yeah. think West I don't Virginia. know. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but mm-hmm. but they have some chances. They're going to have a plenty, a lot of chances for quality wins. I mean, so like be... you look at their top three; those those guys are really good. And, oh, yeah. and if they can get some of their guys on off the bench to kind of be like uh, a lot of find, well, a lot find of Williams, roles. I think fouled out tonight in seventeen minutes, but he was making some tough plays tonight, driving hard to the yeah, rim. He was a, he was a problem. Right? Yeah, I think he's like a JUCO transfer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everybody's new on this team. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like the the three or the two main guys, Manic and Doolittle. Uh, Bienemy would played last year, but that honestly, was it. if Bienemy finds his jump shot again, like that's that's true. That's gonna be big. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd imagine that that's a team that's gonna get better. But I'd then see. again, Oklahoma hasn't like had good conference seasons the last few years. Right. True. They've kind of dropped off. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. They look like a bowl team so far right now, though. So that's why it was a big win. Um, what do you predict their finish and postseason to be? I think we just so what fourth? We say fourth or fifth place in the Big Twelve. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then bu- bubble team. So whichever we'll they end up, yeah. however that works out at the end of Comes the day. Comes down to like one or two games. Yeah. When you're a bubble team, it's a coin flip. So. Um, last one is from Brian. Why is Providence so bad? <laughs> They can't shoot. I like that and we're then, trending into the Big East territory because we yeah. should do a Big East preview podcast like in the next couple weeks before we. Providence can't shoot, and then they move the three point line back. Yes, so I mean that's where to like, God, I think that's as easy as we can it. say it. Yeah. They they can't they couldn't shoot, and then it was like back up a little, <laughs> and, and like, they were like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I don't know they they just don't look right because they can't shoot. Um, they're really just doing it offensively because even when they just don't they don't move the ball well they don't they don't play with each other well it just looks like there's a bunch of dudes out there that look gifted athletically that don't know what they're doing in terms of team continuity um it has been a bit surprising um, i mean because while you while you thought the they had some they, flaws yeah. they were a team that was coming into the year with some like some push they were like this team um because everybody liked their this recruiting class. Everybody loved this recruiting class when it got to Providence. And this is year two of it. All you're talking about David together. Duke, A.J. Reeves. Yep. Yeah. And then they added Pipkins, who, um, while he's not very super efficient, was a good scorer at UMass. Um, you know, just and they got Emmett Holt back. Yeah. Um, it felt like this was a team that was going to take a jump a little bit from – I mean, they finished last place in the league last year, but they were 7-11, and so it wasn't like they were – a two and four, a two and sixteen team. Um, you know, I felt like they were an off season. You know, if they had a good off season, some of their guys could take a jump and be better as sophomores. 
but it hasn't worked out so far. And it doesn't look like it's... I mean, honestly, I just don't... Since, like, when you look at their early season results, like, basically that 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 tournament they played out in California, I think it was out in Anaheim, the Wooden Legacy, I think mm-hmm. it was, or it's not the Wooden Legacy, but... Something uh, like that. Yeah. I mean, they lost to some teams that, that just... Long Beach State and Charleston. Yeah, that, that there's aren't going to... I mean, they're not even. They, there's no. There's no chance that they could put together an NCAA tournament at large resume at this point with the losses they have. Unless they were to go like sixteen to two, rule the league, right? The yeah, fight. exactly. Like that's kind of where they're at right now. So who knows what type of team that you get at the end of the last month of the season because of that? Because if the light bulb goes off for four or five of those dudes, um, they certainly are gifted enough athletically to put it together. But yeah, it's just I don't know. Alpha, Alpha Diallo hasn't ever hasn't. Since his sophomore year, he hasn't really taken a big jump in terms of his overall game. Yeah. He looks like the same player from two years ago. Um, Nate Watson hasn't – I mean, the knee injury has slowed him a little bit, but I think his freshman year looked like he was going to be a load, and it just – you know, he's not a crazy night-to-night impact guy. Um, and, yeah, they just – and then the bottom line is they don't shoot the ball very well. Right. So, yeah, they got waxed tonight, and then they play Texas next, so – might be another one coming. Um, just one thing to note is that Kelvin Jones only played two minutes mm-hmm. today for Creighton. And McDermott said, while, while Kelvin isn't 100% healthy, he was healthy enough to go. And but If Oklahoma went with that big lineup. Yeah, if yeah. Oklahoma went big. But they, they were worried about Kelvin guarding a Manic who moves a lot or matching up against Doolittle who can take pe- big men off the dribble especially with a bum foot. And so he was only going to play if uh, Oklahoma went super big. And they did for two, for two minutes, and that was it. They did, yep. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, so what do we got coming up? Arizona State on Saturday. Saturday. 7.30, both great teams played in Arizona State. The women play on the 20th in the afternoon. The men play on the 21st at night. Um, and then Midland on the 28th so we this will be the last one until after Christmas so um, we'll just pump our stuff real quick and let you know what you guys can be looking forward to over the Christmas break um, John you want to start what you got in the hopper for the website and the paper um, well I'll write something on Denzel I don't know when exactly this talk week, to his probably brother today, right? Yeah, talk to his, his significantly older brother. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, who kept him in shape over the summer? Mm-hmm. So it was interesting chatting with him. Yeah, we'll do some some on Denzel, and I don't know. I'm not seeing much past this week right now. It's crazy when you get into the season; like you don't really yeah, think yeah. beyond the next game a lot of times. So, uh, but there is going to be like kind of a lull between. Uh, when they play Arizona State in the next one. So there's yeah. going to be some opportunities to write some maybe, dig into some guys and maybe write some, um, I don't know, mid-season reports on right. some dudes. So. Or just, like, go to sleep for four days. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy Christmas. I don't know. For we'll sure. see. Yeah, but yeah, then, yeah. but you're right, like, the, the Creighton women play well, because I, I mean, I talked to Davion on a couple days ago, and, like, there's, there's, a, there's an interesting story there about what he's thinking about and what he's going through and, I haven't decided if I want to put that thing down right now, but I might because there's going to be a lot of downtime for Christmas. Yeah. So, um, there's definitely some stuff that can be written about this team in the meantime that I think people would enjoy. Uh, but do you have any deals going on for subscribers? As low as 99 cents a month right now. All right, that's a good deal. Get um, in on it. Yeah, we're coming down. Uh, January 16th is the due date for the baby, so subscribe, throw some names in the hat, see if they stick. Um, that's a little like, you know, a little extra incentive to subscribe to some uh, great world hero coverage as always. Uh, Whiteandbluereview.com for this podcast, which will be up. Um, I don't know, it's one o'clock in the morning right now, so I don't know if anybody's still awake, but it'll be up tomorrow at the latest for you guys. Um, we'll have some post game coverage from this game. Um, there's a lot of like sidebar stuff too um, from this one, just because there's a lot that went down and a lot that has, uh, I don't know maybe a big picture outlook to it in terms of the type of game that Creighton won tonight and what it means. That's what I felt so, too. Like there, it could be a game. The game where itself was like, we, it could be a game that we look back on in a couple months mm-hmm. as a significant 
for a lot of reasons. For sure. So, yeah, those are all, I mean, you, you know where to go. Uh, those are the two places for sure. Uh, make sure you uh, get a newspaper, subscribe to the Omaha.com for John's work. Um, follow it in Blue Review for ours. Um, and we'll bring you, we'll be back after Christmas um, to podcast after the Midland game. Um, and we'll also do, you know. Maybe we can just do we a shouldn't be, We shouldn't be podcasting much about the Midland game, so that'll probably be a big preview heavy podcast. Yeah. So if you if you got any questions about the league so far and, um, you know, just general topics you want us to touch on for Big East play that will start on January 1st, uh, you know, that will be a, that'll be the podcast to do it on. So we'll turn that one into like a Big East preview for sure. Um, so until then, that will be December 28th. So until then, Merry Christmas, everybody. We massively appreciate everybody's support um, and listening to this podcast and your feedback both on Twitter, email, text messages um and your questions after every game um the interaction is uh often provides some of the most entertaining parts of this podcast we definitely appreciate it no doubt Um, until next time merry christmas everybody